Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. With the holidays just around the corner, now is the time to order holiday cards for family and friends. Only this year, why not create custom holiday photo cards quickly, easily, and affordably at simplytoimpress.com. Simplytoimpress.com is your holiday photo card headquarters with thousands of unique Christmas cards and other designs to choose from. All you do is upload your family photos, personalize the text, and you're done. Simplytoimpress.com prints your cards on your choice of premium card stock in just a few days and rushes them straight to your door. Maybe that's why the New York Times wire cutter named Simply to Impress their favorite photo card service. They even offer foil cards and hundreds of great holiday card designs for your business, too. Place your order today to save 30% and get free shipping. Just enter promo code DEAL at checkout. Save big on holiday photo cards today using promo code DEAL at simplytoimpress.com. That's simplytoimpress.com. J.P. Zarka, owner and editor-in-chief of ProWrestlingStories.com. You are in England, my friend. It is uh, from here in the Mountain State. This is a nine-hour difference for us. So why? So first of all, we were talking about, obviously, you, uh, your story of how you moved to England originally from Chicago, uh, the Windy City. But how, how have things been there in 2020 uh, specifically, given everything that's been going on? Because it's probably been a lot different than it has been in the States. Yeah, no, um, we were in Australia when the whole lockdown started wow. happening. We had some friends out there. For, we, were, we were out there for a wedding. And they locked down, like, everything. You know, restaurants were closed. The streets were empty. It was like tumbleweeds. And we went through Melbourne Airport. It was absolutely empty. We come back here, and surprisingly, it was almost as normal. You know, even though this, we're talking about mid-March, right, when the whole pandemic yeah. started happening. Um, you know, so we, we've been kind of bunkering down like hermits in our home. We go out for walks. You know, I feel like I've aged 30 years. You know, my favorite thing of the day is to go for walks now with my wife and daughter. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's been all right. I mean, 2020, um, it's been a scary time, you know. But I think with, with England, we're now in our second lockdown. So we're not going to see friends or anything like that. We can't even meet with friends in the gardens wow. in our backyards or anything. So. We just kind of, you know, do what we can to keep ourselves occupied and, and entertained as much as possible. Oh, my God. I mean, I, that's probably the next step for us. I'm in school right now. I'm waiting for them to kick us out uh, yeah. in Phoenix. So you guys are already in, in quarantine again in the second lockdown. Yeah, we're in the second lockdown. The first one was a lot more strict where yeah. um, schools weren't open. We, we had our daughter home and you know, we, we only have our one child and she's pretty easy going luckily. Um, but you know, the, I've, I've had friends who had three, four kids and they were going out of their mind, you know, because <laughs> they're stuck <laughs> in the house, you know, and, but it, it's okay. I think it's, I think the lockdowns are a good thing. I know you got differing opinions on this whole pandemic and oh, COVID yeah. and such, but 
I, you know, I think they're doing things as best as they can, and we're just kind of coping as much as possible. I mean, it's so interesting. I know I read one story back in March when everything was going on. I think it was Jared Leto. He said that he was in isolation for like the first two weeks. And by the time he got out and back into his normal life, he had no idea what was going on. Because like no one was outside. The entire world was in lockdown. And he's like, yeah. what was going on, man? Like I had no idea that this could even be possible because it's never happened before, right? Not in our lifetimes. I mean, it's 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 nuts. Uh, but you almost have to just kind of be resilient to it as much as possible. You know, I, I I believe that we all should be just kind of taking it easy and just like wear your masks. Don't go out. Don't go near. Don't go into groups of people. For long, right. You know, unprotected. But just be smart and uh, just kind of be patient and wait this thing through. Hopefully, by this time next year, it'll be a different situation. But yeah, it's it's been a very strange year, hasn't it? I mean, it's been very interesting to see how businesses all around the globe kind of adapt to it. I mean, we've seen restaurants, obviously, get shut down. There's really nothing you could do about that. Getting back up to like 50% capacity, dine in. I know we're dine in still here in Phoenix. I know there's a lot of places on the East Coast that have completely shut down again. Uh, it's been interesting to see a lot of companies adapt. Obviously, WWE first and foremost had to uh, obviously shut down their entire fan base. They, they weren't obviously allowed to uh, bring fans in and they did it from the performance center right I, again i didn't watch yeah. it all the way through but they the, i know the first few months they did it with no crowds then they brought in uh, some of their nxt guys i think just to clap when they needed yeah, their to clap. personnel like being the audience yeah. and, and, and then they did the whole thunderdome thing which has yeah. worked now I'm, yeah. I'm shocked that they didn't think of that beforehand. Obviously, this has never happened before, and they had to adapt quickly. But what have you thought about that um, whole scenario uh, that Vince has kind of put together with the current programming, given that he has no fans to work with? Well, I think, like you said, they just kind of had to, like, you had a blank sheet. Like, okay, what do we yeah. do? How do we respond to this? And, um, you know, I thought, of, you know, watching like WrestleMania this year, for instance, right. it was interesting. Like you can hear the grunts a lot louder and, and just the, the, the hits on the mat. And there's not that interaction with the fans in it. It's all, it's very strange. Like watching wrestling right now, you almost have to just kind of tune your mind out to the fact there's no one in the, or very few people in the audience now. And it's a lot different. You pay more attention to what's happening in the ring. Um, I, I, I've been having a hard time get real into it, really, especially when there wasn't any fans. That was very strange, you know. It was almost like muting the fans and just hearing. It's just it was a different experience. But I know I know even like in AEW and other promotions as well, they're doing what they can and uh, going into a place like the Thunderdome and having the, the fans in the background was a. It was I thought it was kind of cool. It was a good way to bring the fans in. Um, I know, obviously, didn't, there was a couple of hiccups where somebody oh, yeah. had put a picture of what Chris Benoit and yep. know, a few other things slipped through. So you had those those teething issues at, at the start. But I know, like, the NBA has tried it and other sports have also tried having electronic fans in the background. What else are you going to do? You know, they're doing what they can. I mean, on that uh, WWE side, like, I, you would have to think that something like that was going to happen. Yeah. Like as soon as they brought in the whole Thunderdome idea, I'm like, there's going to be a few fans that are just going to hijack this and, and, and make this of course. without them, you know? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. They probably knew that was going to happen as well, but yeah. So 
But for the most part, I mean, I, I, I haven't been watching a lot of fool shows. I, I see yeah. the clips. I read about what's happening. And, you know, I think they're doing the best they can right now. It's, it's 2020. It's just so strange. You know, you just look, it's going to be one of these things we look back on when things get back to normal, if normal exists again. And we'll look back and think, wow, you know, I can't believe how everything changed, not just wrestling, but, you know, sports or, you know, schooling and everything else. It was business, the way people run businesses. Yeah. And a lot more people working from home now. And so, yeah, it's right now, I think we're all kind of resilient. We're like, all these changes. We're just kind of, we're rolling with it. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like the first few weeks back in March and April, I, I personally would say that everybody was uh, kind of worried, freaking out a little bit, being stuck in your house for that long. But now at this point, everybody seems very disciplined to it. I don't know about yeah. you, but like you're kind of yeah. used to it by now. Exactly what I was thinking, you're you're used to it by now and it's almost like in your head we're always like us my, my wife and i we like to travel you know because yeah. I'm, I'm from chicago as you mentioned in the intro um my original reason to move to england was for first of all teaching i got a teaching job out here but also travel and they had a lot of time off with the schools out here in the uk so you every six to eight weeks you have a week or, a week or two off and so it was really great to be located here in london where we would shoot off to Spain or Europe or go to Asia or see my wife's family in Germany. Now we can't. So we're, we're actually having our first Christmas here in London. Oh, wow. Since we moved there. Yeah. Cause we've always been back in Chicago or in Germany or somewhere else. You typically like a warm climate if we can, but yeah, so we're all home now and you just try to make the best of things and, you know, make it as fun as possible. A lot of people are putting up Christmas lights early this year. Uh, you are one of those people already have a tree in our room oh do you really yeah we're gonna start i think we're gonna do it this weekend we're one of those people i didn't want to be but we are i didn't get a say it boosts morale though it's a bit like in a typical year i would wait till thanksgiving yeah but you gotta have other like just little things like that to kind of brighten the mood really just to like trigger your brain be like good times are coming good times are yeah, coming. absolutely and then it's like oh 2021 it's not looking any better but we just gotta roll with it so were you growing up in chicago were you a big big obviously big wrestling fan growing up was it uh big sports what was your whole scene growing up in chicago well i was a huge sports fan uh bulls cubs white Sox. i love the white Sox when i was little and then i grew up to be a cubs fan so that kind of i am the exact same way i grew up in jersey a mets fan like the first few months and then i'm like this is not going to work out and then (laughs) jump jump ship the rest of my family's diehard yankee fan so i guess it kind of worked out yeah i can understand that yeah so i mean i grew up i mean we had the bulls which was huge when i was a kid so he uh you know, Jordan and, and the Bulls won in 90 when I was seven. Yeah. And then their last championship came when I was, what, 15? So those are those are pretty big times in a person's life, you know, seven to 15. What a range for things to be happening sports-wise. A lot of times people get to their adult life and don't have their team win. So we were pretty spoiled. I was spoiled early with that. But I was huge into wrestling. Um, I remember we had a babysitter. Uh, my mom was a flight attendant, so she would either do overnighters, and we would have either a neighbor or a family member watch us. But we had one neighbor whose uh, husband was a huge wrestling fan, and the the woman who was watching my brother and I thought possibly my mom wouldn't want us to watch it. So she's like, "You're not allowed to go into that room. My husband's watching wrestling." And I was, like, "You can hear it. You can hear the crowd." And I'm like, "I want to go in, you know." And what he was watching was WrestleMania three, and I was at this point, four years old. And I clearly remember, and I was just like taken like 
they took my world by surprise. You know, these bigger than life superstars. What yeah. is this? It's crazy. Look at all those fans. Oh my gosh. And then as I got older, um, it was Razor Ramon, one, two, three kid, Joint the Clown, Yokozuna. Bret Hart was my man. You know, like I was obsessed with Bret Hart back in the day. All my friends would be doing like the sharpshooter on each other or we would be doing like the razor's edge up against a hill in the in the school's playground. You know, we were doing all that. And we, we, we would always have a friend that had a pay-per-view being taped and we would pass yeah. the tape around school the next week. So it was some of my best memories. Wow. I was kind of the opposite. So when I started, I started watching when I was in seventh or eighth grade. Like mm-hmm. I came on, I was one of those kids who started later because my brother always watched it. Um, growing up and I was always one of those kids just like you know it's fake right like just did not like even know like it was more of just like a drama or like a soap opera but like wrestling as its background so like when I first started watching like he was just watching one night and I think it was it was like Undertaker Triple H preview for their first Wrestlemania match or something and of course those two best in the business when it came to just about anything in-ring competition promos and I was like hooked from there, but I wouldn't let myself admit it for like a, for like a few months after like WrestleMania 27, I would just sneak it. I'd be watching it. And then my dad would, I would hear my dad walk in the room and I would quickly switch it back to like the Yankee game or something. He's like, what are you watching? I'm like, oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. And it's funny. Cause like years later, he's like, I, I, like, I know you always used to sneak it, Jack. Like you didn't really uh, come across as too sneaky with that. But my, my first big storyline, we went to Monday night raw and, Boston. It was like right before, I think it was the Money in the Bank pay per view and CM Punk, and they started that whole storyline with the pipe bomb and him leaving. Oh, yeah. And our first Raw was um, that one in Boston. He had like an in ring contract negotiation with Vince McMahon. And like looking back at that Raw, that's like a historic Raw. I mean, they probably won't admit it to themselves now that he's gone and the way it ended. But that was probably one of the most historic Raws ever. And we got to go to that. Never since we've been hooked. Like, again, we don't watch it on a weekly basis anymore, but we definitely keep up with all the storylines. And I think in 2020 this year, specifically, I don't know how much you, again, you've paid attention to it, but uh, I'd say all their storylines for their main event scenes, at least right now are some of the best work they've done in years. And it's unfortunate that uh, fans can't be in attendance to actually see that happen. Yeah, I agree. Like Drew is a two-time champ in 2020. Like that's amazing. Um, I'm liking heel Roman Reigns. Oh, yeah. But that whole storyline is drawing me in. I'll, I'll watch all those bits, all the Roman Reigns bits each week I'll follow. And, like, if, if I told myself a year ago I'd be only watching, like, or paying attention to the Roman Reigns bits, it's exciting stuff, man. It, it almost brings you back to the storylines of the past, really, the way they've been doing it. It's simple, um, but, but it's working. You know, the like, so you mentioned like you came in in 2011 when you were, that was a huge time to, to be watching. That was a great story. I'm still looking back at that year now. That's yeah. probably the best year of storytelling that I've watched. 2011, 2012. Yeah, I, I, I would say in the last 10 years, that and for me, I would say Daniel Bryan in 2013, yeah. 14. Because yeah. I've had these weird, I don't know about like how it's been for you, but I've gone real into wrestling. I'd be real hot on it for a while and then i pull back for a couple of years and it's usually like when puberty hit i stopped watching is a lot you know and, and then so it was like the new generation era i stopped watching around the time uh sean michael after sean michaels had become a champ and i was a huge fan of him and then it's like 95 the new generation era got a bit bleak it wasn't so good 
And then I had come back in and started watching around 99. We used to have raw, Monday night raw parties. Uh, we would have a friend. We would always go to a friend's house where we'd be in the basement watching it every week. And I got sucked right into The Rock and Stone Cold and everything else. And then I pulled out again. And I had like when I was at college and just, you know, when I finished college, it really was that Daniel Bryan storyline that pulled me right back in. I was just like, well, what's going on with wrestling these days? You know, I would constantly, you know, every week or two, I would just go onto a website, Raja WWF. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember that one? That was one of the big ones back in the day. And I, I used to go on it when I was in high school, like in the late 90s, and get all the rumors and just read the, the show recaps. And I was like, all right, what's going on in WWE? And I had heard that uh, SummerSlam was coming up. And so I had seen SummerSlam. And that was when, this is 2013, when Brian right. jumped Tina. I was like, what? This is crazy. You know, so I got jumped right back in and I haven't looked back, you know. And it was around that time I started reading autobiographies and I was like going from like I had read uh John Lennon's uh former wife Cynthia wrote a book on him I think it's called John and that was a fantastic book I finished that and I was like what next do I do and I I, I saw that Bret Hart had an autobiography out so I read his man that like rocked my world because the stories and the just the things that was happening off camera was so much more interesting than the oh, story yeah. on tv the partying, the debauchery, the womanizing—none of it's right. But it, or it's you know, it, 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 you don't look at it in like a glowing way. But it was, it was interesting, you know, the the, the lies they were living, and oftentimes three hundred fifty days on the road. You know, it's it's crazy. Um, and so after I had read Bret Hart's book, I started doing. I was just started getting into Reddit, and um, the Squared Circle is one of the subreddits on there. And I had done a write-up on uh, how Ultimate Warrior had kind of let down a family where there was a boy who was on his last wish for Make-A-Wish Foundation. Right, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and he was, he was like backstage with the family and wanting to meet Ultimate Warrior. And um, the way it was in Bret Hart's book, and he kind of just made it seem like uh, Ultimate Warrior was just a bit of a jerk, really. And so I put the story out there on Reddit, and it went real well. And then there was another piece... After I'd read more about Owen Hart, I put together some quotes from people talking about his death and then yeah. put that up on Reddit. And before you know it, every Saturday morning, I started just finding different wrestling stories. And I was putting them together and putting them on Reddit. And it kind of, it was something fun to do. You know, my wife liked to sleep in on the weekends before our daughter was born. And I was always up early. Um, and so I would just kind of dive into like some interviews and I would write something up and every Saturday was my mission to kind of do a new wrestling story. And I got to a point where I think there was like 35 to 40 already written. And my wife said, why don't you put this on a website? You know, there's probably an audience you can reach with this. And that's when I started prowrestlingstories.com. And so it was, it was all kind of organic. I, I just kind of got back into wrestling, started reading the books. I was interested in writing more. I mean, I love writing, I'm, you know, whether it's music or stories or anything else. I used to teach English and such. So it was just something I was just doing for fun. And I never realized like how big of an audience that something like this could reach, especially because we're all kind of nostalgic beasts, aren't we? We like to look back to the good old days, right. especially when times are not good like now. <laughs> and, um, and so really these stories I, I, that I started writing and putting together were not about today's wrestling. It was about 
the past in the glory days or from the 90s or the 70s, the 60s, the multiple screw jobs and everything else. And the more you dive in, I just I, I got sucked into this this new world and it's been so much fun. I mean, it's the best platform you could have because, again, like if you're going to uh, create a blog or create a website and you put out the same like review posts or the review blogs, preview stuff that everybody else is talking about, nobody's going to tune in. Nobody's going to view it because honestly, like who are you going to listen to me or WWE.com or AEW.com? Like nobody's like, you don't have any like inside source unless you have a few connections. Right. So like, yeah, you know, there's so many websites out there doing exactly what you just said. They yeah. they recap the week shows, they talk about rumors, or they're rehashing the news from the Dave Meltzer's overworld. You know, right. they're taking these headlines and then they're just they all like you, you'll see it. Like we, we see it on our social media and such. Um so many websites out there that are just kind of rehashing the same things, just worded differently. And I didn't want to do that that just kind of seems tiring to me like yeah if i was an editor for one of these websites i i would be kind of bored with it you know because you'd every day i'd have to be checking twitter or checking the news and oh what's new i have to type something up about it whereas really what i didn't want to do that and because the way i'm not interested i'm interested in reading what's happening we all have our go-to sites and to switch people's minds to go into a new site to read recaps and stuff it's very difficult and so if you can bring people in by sharing stories that happen in real life that many people don't know about, and you just capture their attention with a couple sentences, and then all of a sudden they've got a 3,000, 4,000 word story here that just sucks you in like a book does, that's to me what it's, what it's all about. And again, it was just so organic. I wasn't thinking, like, especially in 2015 when I started the site, I almost started doing recaps. I had a couple of recaps on the page. And I just felt bad for the writers that were doing it because the, they weren't getting a lot of reads compared to the actual stories. We're talking like one week, I think there was a SmackDown review and it had 35 reads. I was like, yeah, that's it. We're not doing that anymore. And it's been a lot of trial and error. And oh, so I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. And it's just mostly been sticking to the method that works. And it's just telling stories, you know, telling the stories from the past. And in, in doing so, not not injecting your own opinion as as a writer so people come to a website like pro wrestling stories for instance they don't want to know they don't want to sway or slant on the way something's being delivered so i i try to do as much as possible to use the quotes that people that were involved in these stories or in these 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 situations let those quotes do the, the telling and then i you know you fill in the blanks from there and so yeah, it's 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 just something that's worked, and um, you know, I, I remember like the the first day the so the, the website went live May 16, thousand fifteen, on like the seventeenth. Jim Ross had retweeted one of the articles on it was about Owen Hart pulling ribs in the back, and uh, and then it was like two days later, Sports Illustrated had put out an article and, and incorporated. It was like an extra mustard. It was like these yeah. these releases, and. It was they had like an interview with Dwayne The Rock Johnson and then he said, For these wrestling for the wrestling fans out there, be sure to check out prowrestlingstories.com. You can lose thirty minutes of your time. And I was like, Wow, holy cow, where's all these people coming from? Yeah. I was checking the Google Analytics and <laughs> you know, from the first month we were getting hundred thousand readers, you know. So it was just right from the start. 
people were interested. So yeah, I, I mean, you're doing something right right out of the get go. Like like you yeah. said, like those first few stories that you wrote, like coming from like the Bret Hart autobiographies and stuff. Like you're not gonna understand those stories or read those stories online unless you actually read the book, right? For sure. Because I'm sure well, that book came you, out. You try to build it so like each story kind of stands alone, yeah. where you can become an in cold. And so you, you you introduce what's what what the story's about. You kind of hook them on the social media side of things, and then you you build up to the story. Yeah. So that you know, but but for every piece, like I'm I'm always bigging up like the autobiographies. They they are such a treasure trove of stories and information. And you know, I I gosh, I I think I'm on like my sixth wrestling book in a row now it's terrible like I, I should be reading i should be going to pick up another type of book right now but it's just they're so fascinating you know it's just one after the other i i if there's anything people do like other than you know when they're listening to this other than going to pro wrestling stories.com is to try picking up an autobiography from a wrestler it's, it's surprisingly good oh my god it's not crazy lives who do you think has has the most interesting story thus far? I've read. I'm on my third Jericho book right now. No is a four letter word. I think he's yeah, an that's, awesome that's, story. No is a four letter. I think that's the fourth one. What he had like the he had the the first one was just time in WCW up to WWE, and then he's right. got the WWE in the second book. The third one kind of covers. Uh, the third one had the one with the Kofi Kingston and Vince McMahon fight on an airplane. Yes. Well, it was like the best well, it wasn't ever do or something. Yeah, like they got drugged from Jack Daniels or whatever. Yeah. So that covered more of like his later WWE days. And then the fourth book, which is the No, um, it's like, I have that book as well. It's the where he's covering the, uh, he gives like life's lessons. That yeah, it's, it's like 12 it. principles or whatever. There's like the Vince yeah. principle, Paul Stanley, you know, like mixing rock and roll with wrestling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love the Jericho books. He's, he uses humor, you know, so you, you just get sucked through and you're laughing as you're reading. Bret Hart, of course, goes without saying. Gary Hart's book is phenomenal. I don't know if you've heard about Gary Hart's book, but um, he was a legendary manager and he right. had put this book out and I don't know what, there was a situation with um, the publishing of this where the, the person who originally published it is not allowing this book to be for new copies to be made. So at the moment, you can't get a Gary Hart book for less than 800 if you're lucky, or a couple thousand dollars. You know, So you'll see him pop up on eBay once in a while. But there was a PDF floating around that I, I kind of was a bit cheeky, downloaded it, and I read it that way. And that's a phenomenal book. Like, probably my favorite. I would put Gary Hart at the top, Bret Hart. Bob Holly surprised me. His book, Hardcore Truth, really good, because he's brutally honest, you know, and he's not afraid to say where he was wrong and where, you know, what he, you know, where his whole story was very interesting and the way it was written. Um, Ric Flair's book, I'm just almost done with that, To Be the Man, by Keith Elliott Greenberg. That's a great one. Um, boy, oh boy, J.J. Dillon. That was a great yeah. autobiography, really good because he had the um, experiences of wrestling, and of course, being a legendary manager of the Four Horsemen, and then you've got him behind the scenes as being one of the, the the main guys in the back in WWE, WWF as well, you know. So and WCW, so you hear all the the, the crazy stories that happen there. So yeah, there's so many books out there I could recommend. I mean, there's so many, unfortunately, there's so many disgruntled former wrestlers out there that are yeah. just go off and tell their stories. Was there any, like, really 
big things like you mentioned the whole uh, ultimate warrior stuff in the bret hart um autobiography like bret hart i feel like is one of those guys that wouldn't hold back given everything that he had to go through uh in the business i like bret hart's book because and i know a lot of people say he's just as miserable he's grown up to yeah. be miserable he complains a lot is we read his book i didn't get the feeling that he was complaining a lot because he was always just he was just shooting straight like um he was very honest about his own downfalls but his um, cheating on his wife and not, you know, that aspect, he was brutally honest about that in his book. That was almost eye-opening, you know, a Bret Hart type on the road. And he was saying things like he had a, a almost a woman in every country he visited, you know, and always waiting, you know, so that was, that was interesting. I like the books that are brutally honest like that, but yeah. unfortunately sometimes you start reading these books and you kind of get the feeling like, like, um, Hogan's book, um, that wasn't that good. That was under the, I think that was released under WWE as well. So, of course, there's going to be a Right, slide. yeah. Um, that that was, yeah. Uh, what else? The uh, what book was I recently re uh, reading and I wasn't impressed. Oh, oh, Austin's book. It started really good, and it, especially talking about how we got into the business and um, that, that part of it. But then it got into just kind of at the end, just rehab. He was just kind of telling me what the storylines were on TV where I'm interested in what was going on after the camera stopped rolling. Yeah. So that was a shame. Hope, maybe he'll go back and write another. The Rocks book as well wasn't that good. That was another WWE release. Yeah, that's what I'm, I was assuming. Like WWE's releases are definitely curved to where it's mainly about the storylines you read on TV, and then there's really no like disgruntled parts where they're talking about real life stuff that could potentially harm them. Yeah, yeah, and that's I mean this is why us as fans were really gravitating towards like Dark Side of the Ring as yeah. well, like series yeah. on Viceland right now, like it's huge, and you, you we are interested in the ugly truth you know the, it, it, we're, we're all human we all make mistakes and these wrestlers are are no different they were living a rock and roll lifestyle and they were putting their bodies on the line they were in pain constantly they were getting no sleep and so these the, what they were doing with their time outside you know away from the fans is so interesting and, and you kind of hope when you're reading them and every 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 wrestler who writes a book is it's it's up to them how much they want to to put out there but as, as a fan you kind of hope that i want to know the ugly truth you know and hopefully it's what you get well like the two big ones that came out this year were obviously chris benoit everybody everybody's been waiting to hear something regarding that story and then there yeah. was the owen hart one and i, I yeah. think both guys were like insanely family oriented to where those guys seem like two of the nicest guys that you could ever be around, you know, like they, they definitely thought of their, their wives and their kids first. And then obviously what happened with Chris happened with Chris. I don't think anybody's really going to understand why or how that happened. Right. And then there was Owen Hart who was just being booked wrong and being booked in, in stupid gimmicks. And obviously what happened with him they they sued they sued the WWE right the Hart family or at least yeah is yeah family did I don't know how did they, I think it was like settled in the end um, yeah yeah I think Martha was trying to and then the it was like the Hearts were fighting against each other yeah they they like turned on Martha because she wanted to yeah. sue yeah so that was interesting to see I mean a lot of that I knew already from Brett's book or from yeah. other 
stories out there as well. But the, 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 the speaking of like the dark side of the ring, it was the Dino Bravo episode that I was, I've seen so many of these, but I was in tears at the end of that one, you know, just how it affected his daughter and his wife when he was shot point blank in the back of the head by somebody from the mob, you know, and that was actually one of the first stories on pro wrestling stories. And to then see like these, these, these stories that are pieced together for the site in a documentary form is it's awesome. I love it. And I think they're doing a phenomenal job. But the, the, the episode that hooked me, I watched it, I think, Last year or two years ago, whenever it came out, were the uh, the Von Erickson brothers. Yeah, the Von Erickson. Yeah, six of them dying, which is just yeah. bizarre. Like, yeah, I, I don't know how you come back as a parent from that. Personally, like, I'm not a parent. You're a parent. You could probably answer that better. But like, I don't understand how you could uh, live a normal life after that, having five of your six children die from what whether it was suicide, uh, just again poor events leading up to it. Yeah, David was like, was it like in Japan where was it food poisoning or something? But that some believe possibly drugs were in, in, in taking place in that one. Yeah, that was probably one of the darkest stories in wrestling to have all of them die. And you, you, you it almost comes to say because we can't we can't be armchair quarterbacks here and right. think about what led to all this. But they were under an insane amount of pressure of that family. They were thrusted upon especially out in Dallas and Texas, they were everything to the fans out there. And, um, and I'm sure their father was very, Fritz, I'm sure he was very tough on them growing up. And so, and then of course, all that pressure and, and then each of them had their own little downfalls on the way up and, or trying to reach stardom, some of them like Mike, uh, yeah, it was just a lot of pressure, and, and it just kind of—it was just too much to handle. Yeah, that one—that's a tough one to, to to even dive into. I mean, the, there was that one brother that shouldn't have even been in the wrestling ring, and and yes. like the dad forced him because he needed an extra spot. It was almost like the the wrestling version of the Jackson family with with Joe Jackson kind of just yeah. like di- dictating his children. Make that connection for sure. Yeah, and it, absolutely. Yeah, and. One of the, was it, was it, um, I think it was David where he was, he was sick and he had, he had come back and he wrestled too early and he was still sick. And I think that it made it worse for him. And that ultimately led to his death later. But yeah, yeah, there's just so many stories. And like, when you think of basketball or football and, you know, any sport out there or any form of entertainment behind the scenes, I don't think there's anything that any form of entertainment that has more interesting, more traumatic, more dramatic, more dark stories than wrestling. You know, it's and it's crazy. And I think now that Vice has put out this documentary series, we're going to start to see more. I know A&E is working on some documentaries at the moment. There's going to be one on uh, Vince McMahon, Shawn Michaels. They actually reached out, A&E reached out to me a few weeks ago for help with some research as well for some of their, yeah, so it was for the Shawn Michaels episode. So it'll be exciting to see what happens there. And so I think people are starting, people in entertainment are starting to realize there's a big audience for these stories. And, you know, once people start diving in, there's just a plethora of darkness and (laughs) Darkness I, mean, I, wonder, I wonder how much darkness there's going to be in Shawn Michaels' 
documentary because I'm sure like he was a big partier back in the day. I mean, with his personality and how big he was, probably the greatest in-ring performer of all time. There's got to be some stuff in there, despite all the great stuff as well. I, yeah. I, I'm intrigued to see what the Vince McMahon documentary is going to be like because I know that's going to be on oh, Netflix. Yeah. And I wonder if he's actually going to have any say in how that goes, because if he does, it's definitely going to be curved and it's definitely going to be censored. We do not want him to have say, you know, we I want know. it to be truthful. Like he's lived a, an interesting life. Like um, yeah. from, he never really knew his father growing up. He was, a, he was out of the picture right. and he was, it, and you hear things like if, if you've read, if you read his playboy interview from I think 99 or something like this, he dove into like, he, he was hinting about, abuse from his mom yeah. sexual abuse and stuff like this so he's not exactly had the the best upbringing you know so it's and he was he was at military school from a young age too so yeah vince is an interesting character but um this, the story about sean it's another one where he was living that rock and roll lifestyle he was at the top yeah. and a lot of arrogance and he would he he would admit it too now that he was a bit of a, a jerk to other people. Like he was, you know, in the back, you think about the amount of stories that are out there. And my website has a lot of them about Shawn Michaels kind of playing a role in holding somebody back because of a vendetta or not liking them or whatever. And it's pretty ugly. Like the Shawn Michaels today is totally different than the Shawn Michaels. Oh yeah. Time. And so you almost have to separate those two things. And so yeah, documentary on that's going to be really good. I mean, the Shawn Michaels back in, in the Montreal Screwjob is, is way different than, you know, like Hall of Famer, Hunter Shawn Michaels, whatever he's doing now. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure him and Bret Hart had a lot of uh, disagreements when they later talked, whether it was like, what, 20 years later after the fact, 15, 20 years later after the fact. I know they had that yeah. session on Raw, like right yeah. before Michaels retired. But I, I wonder how many times they actually talked in person before that or if that was the first time on TV. Yeah, probably not a lot, to be honest. Yeah. I, I, off the top, I don't remember what Brett had said about it. I think he covers it. I think he covered it at some point. I know he's much, he must have mentioned something about this and stuff there. But yeah, um, I'm just, he just has to put that behind him, Brett. Poor guy. He's, he's got too much on his heart. <laughs> you know, he's he got to let go. I mean, he's got no choice, right? Do you personally yeah. think that it was a shoot and not a work? Because like that conspiracy, like you can go on for hours talking about it, but after reading, uh, doing a bunch of research, whether it was his autobiography, everything else, do you personally think it was a shoot? Like that went down the way everybody thought it went down? Yeah, no, that, it, it, there's, there was no, this wasn't scripted. This, yeah. The screw job. That it definitely happened. And Brett was definitely in his eyes screwed because of the fact, you know, he, he, he didn't, he was, he was just, he, he wanted to leave WWE on his terms and he wanted to drop the belts on his terms, not in his country and uh, things like this. And he kind of put himself in that situation. But you could see it from both sides. And it's one of those fascinating stories where every, there's so many different twists and turns. And everyone's kind of skeptical when it comes to things like this. Was it a work or you know, was it shoot? And yeah, I think it definitely happened. It, it would be silly not to think otherwise. So there's so many interesting, controversial stories that'll that'll get plagued by an audience, or or just obviously talked about by an audience. Have you written anything with with ProWrestlingStories.com that has gotten a lot of like not backlash, but a lot of controversy uh, with it? Like you went back and looked like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have wrote it the way I wrote it because it got a lot of uh, backlash. 
No, off the top of my head, like I've had situations where like as an editor, I've, I've taken a 4,000 word article yeah, and then you try to condense it to like two or three lines on Twitter and Facebook just to get people to draw in. And so sometimes like, and it's, it's, it's one of those things that's like a learning experience because I'm not a trained journalist. Um, I was a trained teacher. You know, and I ended up leaving teaching a few years ago to focus solely on this. So it's really all trial and error. But I've had situations where something would be worded funny. And it, it was just, especially on Reddit, that they will call you out on something like straight away. And so I kind of read what they're saying and I'll take it down and then edit it. And that's it. But I've, oh, one big time something happened was when we put out an article. I was in Germany for my father-in-law's 60th birthday. And lots of lots of drinking was happening. I wasn't yeah. sober, but I put out an article about an hour before we went out. And so then we were out for the evening, and I get this text message, on, or I get a beep on my phone from Twitter. And um, was it uh, TJ um, Wilson? Yes. Yeah, yeah, let me go. Try, I'm actually trying to pull it up as we speak on my screen. It was about injuries that took place in wrestling. And we were covering five wrestlers who ultimately had an injury take place that um, had to retire them early. And it was a life change. And there was a line in that article where my writer Joey had pulled from an interview from TJ where he had, he had said what his doctor had said to him that he wouldn't be able to wrestle again. We were just quoting what he had said, but he put on Twitter that, um, what were you there in the doctor's office with me and my doctor? Cause as far as I remember, it was just the two of us. Yeah. And I thought, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like I, I, fir my first opinion or my first feeling was like, I feel terrible. Like I didn't want to offend him because as when I'm doing this, I have no ulterior motive to upset right. anybody. I'm just trying to tell these stories from a neutral standpoint and let the readers make their own opinions. But it was one of the situations where I think he was it, was, it was still fresh for him. He was still fresh retired from the ring and he, he'd read the article. He must've been tagged to it. And then I wrote him a message privately and I said, I'm so sorry that, you know, that was actually taken from a quote from an interview that you took with this so-and-so publication. And he wrote me back straight away saying, I'm sorry, I was a bit, uh, he, he kind of just said I was a bit of a jackass about it, his words. And uh, he says, and he followed me after that. And I said, I'll take that part out of the article. And, and I ended up doing that. And I hit save on my, because I was doing it all on my phone. We're out in Germany for my father's yeah. father-in-law's birthday. And then my phone died the moment everything was fixed. And I was like, wow, you know, I got home thinking, I hope he took that tweet down and he did. Thank God, you know, cause you don't want negative attention like that. Cause that's, that's not the intent. That's probably the biggest time where I was, I had a big, Oh man, this is not good. <laughs> moment. I mean, and he's I, probably got a lot of pull too. He probably has a ton of followers on Twitter. That that's probably no good. Uh, yeah. You know, some people have the opinion, like any, any attention's good attention. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want bad attention. I don't want negative attention for, for the site. And, what we're doing i mean of course these stories do cover some pretty uh tricky s stories in, in situations and you try to put it out there as much respectful way as possible and um that that's one of the few times where that i can think of that i kind of had a little backlash yeah what do you think's been the most um emotionally tied story for you that you've written like what story stands out to you that you were like insanely passionate about insanely into when you were writing it Chris Candido's brother, Johnny, reached out to me 
early days, like 2016. And um, I had, I, there's a story on the website on uh, Skip, I think, I'm trying to find it now, it's right here. Uh, it's called What Sonny Wants, Sonny Gets, The Sad Sorted Relationship of Sonny and Skip. And it dives into like their whole relationship and how terrible Tammy was yeah. and, you know, cheating and everything else. And um, so Johnny, Candido's brother, wrote me privately on Twitter and said, you know, this doesn't even cover it. Like the things I could tell you, he's like, what's your number? And I gave him my number and he called me and we talked for four hours. And I, I talked to him to like two, three in the morning that night. I was just letting him talk. And I said to him straight away, I was like, can I hit record? and that we could possibly use this for a piece. And he says, yes, of course. And so I hit record. I had four hours of, of audio there where he just opened up about everything from their whole relationship, how he met Tammy, how wonderful she was early days. They were high school sweethearts, uh, sweethearts you know. Yeah. She used to babysit Johnny and his sister and, and the family. And, um, and then it goes into the dark. And then he started going into the darkness of, you know, what happened around the time his brother died and the funeral and how she was flirting with she was like putting her arm all over Johnny at the funeral. And even um, Billy Gunn had to go up to Johnny and say, Hey, is there something going on between you and Tammy? And he's like, no, that's not the case. And she was physically abusive and you know, she was doing drugs and everything else. And it, yeah. was, it was ugly. And so we had talked about three times in total and it took a long time to transcribe that. It's about 28,000 words actually the biggest piece that we've got on the site. But when that was finished, we, you know, I sent it to him in advance. Are you happy with what's out there? And he was happy with that. He felt it portrayed his brother in, 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 the, in the best way possible that he could do it. And as well, it was telling the story truthfully. And that's the one article I think um, I put my most, uh, that, that, that kind of, it, it's, I guess, one I'm most proud of. And it was early days too. And so that's, wow. that's a special one for me. So he he literally poured his heart out to you for like four plus hours. Yeah, didn't know me. Yeah, yeah just got on the phone and yeah. Wow. Wow, and that's probably the toughest job to me, like transcribing all that audio afterwards. <laughs> yeah, transcribing is the worst part. Four hours worth of content too. I, I that can't be too easy. That's that, yeah, that, that, that was, was just a first combo. We had like an hour and a half conversation, and then another two-hour one. I, I've got these recorded. I didn't put them out there or anything, but yeah, that was about six plus hours of transcribing, and that was before there's this. Right now, they've got apps like Descript and other things where you just upload the MP3, and then it it gives you an like a sixty percent correct version of the transcription. And go from there. But yeah, when you when you're transcribing, it's it's I think it's the worst part of what we do here. <laughs> so how early on when you were writing the, these articles did people start to reach out to you within the business? Because obviously you did the podcast with Lanny, the, the genius yeah. cast. You got the Pro Wrestling Stories podcast right now. How yeah. early on did uh, people start reaching out to you when uh, your articles started coming out and you started getting a lot of views? Right away. Um, Savio Vega was one of the first ones. Del Wilkes, Jim Ross. Um, Gosh, you were some of the earlier interviews. But yeah, like straight away, I was getting follows. Like Lex Luger followed me when they, he was one of my first follows on Twitter. And I was like, holy cow, that's great. You know, and I wanted to get him for an interview, but he would, he was always dodging that. Um, Kevin Von Erich was one of the first people to follow okay. me. He, he reaches out once in a while and he says about this, this, so there was a Sportatorium article on the site. 
And we were, I think it was Percy Pringle was talking about, or Paul Bearer was talking about how the sportatorium was just a massive shithole. Sorry for the French. And leaks and rats and everything else. And a lot of people, there was rumors of the, you know, the fried food having rats in it and stuff like that. And then uh, Kevin's like, well, you know, my brothers and I, we did fix it up. We tried to fix those leaks. And I'm like, this is so cool. You know, I'm putting an article out and the people that was involved with it are comment, you know, sending me comments privately. And, and, and I'm always like, do you mind if I throw that into the article as in a little excited? He's like, of course, you know, so Kevin has reached out to me a few times and just by doing the site, I've strangely become friends with some of these people that I was watching when I was a kid. Yeah. Kurt Angle is another one, you know, Kurt Angle reached out to me back in 2017 or 18, right when he had that app coming out, an Angle Strong app, and it was about um, addiction recovery. And it was trying to help people because he had his own struggles with with drugs and such. So he had an application for a while on the phones. I think um, I don't think it's still out there, but he reached out to me. We we were on the phone for about an hour and a half, and then we did a Reddit Ask Me Anything session where I was on the phone with him and typing up the responses he gave. And yeah, it's 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 really this this whole thing is just it blows my mind. Like I said, it started office just i read a book started writing about it and now i'm friends with all these people from the business and i have to pinch myself sometimes yeah. it's, 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 a cool... it's amazing how that happens and then you have the, the genius cast with the brother of macho man randy savage yeah. uh, with lenny poffo who i hear is an awesome guy tremendous guy so how does that relationship start and obviously the whole podcast and then obviously culminating into the podcast ending uh, what was that whole experience like for you? Um, I met Lanny when I went to New York City in July 2018 for the 350 Days documentary release. I met Greg the Hammer Valentine, Tito Santana, JJ yeah. Dillon, Lanny Poffel. I mean, I was I was drinking tea from Evan Ginsberg, who was the associate producer of The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke. Yeah, he was the producer for 350 Days, and. Uh, Craig the Hammer Valentine sitting there in his underwear drinking tea with me that Evan's wife had given us. And it was, it was so fun. And uh, Lanny had come out to visit Evan and he was out the day after the documentary came out. And Evan's like, I'm meeting up with Lanny at a cafe. Why don't you come meet us? And so I went to Manhattan. I was staying with my buddy out in Brooklyn at the time. And Lanny and I straight away, we were just laughing. You know, the, the, like I had a massage that day. I was walking around. I saw like twenty dollar massage. I was like, "Yeah, I'll do that." And then he's like, "Did you get a happy ending?" And that was like before <laughs> I even sat down. I'm like, "I like this guy. He's got a goofy personality." You know, and we walked around. We walked around that whole area. The three of us just laughing and sharing stories. And um, he, he followed me on Facebook and Twitter and all that afterwards. And I had started toying with the idea of doing podcasts again. And I thought, "Wow, Lanny's like." not yes he's he's got this history in the business he's the brother of an icon he's got a hundred million stories that he could share as a person i got on with him really well so i thought you know what if we could just like record the conversations that we're having and i'm sure there's people that would enjoy it too and that's where it kind of started his first opinion was like no i don't want to do a podcast and then he thought about it and he's just like okay if you do all the work i'll do it and (laughs) which is what happened i i would do everything and uh, he would just talk for 30 minutes to an hour each week, but it was so much fun. And the the conversations he would have with his friends and yeah, we had some, we had 20, I, w- I would say 20 really good 
shows where it dove into his, his life and wrestling, his, his interests outside of wrestling. And by the 20th week, um, it just wasn't I mean, the for, for Lanny because he had so many different things he wants to do. Now that he's retired, he wants to, you know, he wanted to travel. He wanted to do yeah. all this thing. And he was just like, it's like JP, I've ticked the box on this one. You know, let's let's move on to the next. And I was totally okay with it. You know, because doing a podcast, as you know, it takes a lot of work. Oh yeah, the recording, the editing, the, the social media, putting it out there, and plus doing the website as well and. I was teaching too, you know, so all of that, I was, you know, I was thankful for the 20 episodes we had the pro wrestling stories podcast we had done up until a few months ago. So we had Corey Rivard and Chris Toplak. They had come on board and they, they were like, these, these are guys who are in the entertainment business anyways, like Corey is an actor. Uh, Chris has been on radio, so these these guys were perfect for it. They were just simply taking the stories on the site and um, and doing an episode on them each week. But they got super busy as well. Like Corey was recording, um, he was doing a movie, I believe, right around the time we kind of took a pause. And then Chris got super busy with his his nine to five, and oh. so you know, so it's kind of like on a permanent hiatus. Right. We originally said it was going to come back in the fall, but right now we're we're all just so busy that we don't know when it'll come back. But right. I don't like to put pressure on things like this. I, I understand people are doing this for fun. It's a passion project for so many of us. And so when, when they're ready, we'll, we'll get that going again. Yeah. I mean, that, that's probably the best way to go about it. Yeah. Absolutely. As, as a boss, definitely. Like you don't, you don't want to uh, uh, piss off anybody. And at the yeah. same time, you said like, it's a passion thing, you know, like, yeah. You don't want to force anybody's hand or else it's just not going to come out the way you want to, whether it's a podcast or an article. Absolutely. Like we've, I've got 48 writers now. I was actually counting how many authors are on the page before we had this interview. Just I, I thought possibly 30, but 48 since, the, since five years. And uh, I always tell my writers and they always say to me, um, do you have deadlines and such? And I was like, no, no, not at all. Like just give me an article when time allows it and when the passion hits. Because if you're forced into writing something, it's not going to come from the heart, I don't right. think. It's not going to come off as best as it can. And they always say, how many words do you want? And I say, however long it takes to write the story. Just cover it from all the angles and make sure you include quotes from the people involved because it's important to have those, those primary sources in there that, that can help tell the story. And you don't put your own spin on it. And aside from that, you do it whichever way you want. And I'm, I'm happy when they come. And so there's been stretches where, like this, this year, and I think the pandemic kind of helped, there's, I went like an eight-month stretch where I didn't have to write a new article because my writers were just submitting stuff. And I would put out five new articles a week. And I think last week was the first time where I had a day where I was like, oh, I'm going to write one because I have an open window. And, you know, and it's, it's good for me to get, writing as well because the, for, for the first two years really it was me all the all the articles for the first couple of years for the site was just me and then we got bobby matthews joined up in 2017 joey finnegan as well and a few other wrestler, uh, writers started joining me after a couple of years and to where it's at now it's just incredible we got a lot of great people and the thing about my writers is they're all good people they're not you know the the super fan that gets right. stuck on what's happening on TV. They're not like the, the diehards who are going to have to spin on things. They're like me who loved wrestling when they were little or, you know, in the past. 
maybe they don't like it as much anymore. It doesn't matter, but they're still passionate about telling these stories. And, you know, they, they just want to do their part and, and share the history of the sport. And I think that's so cool. But when you talk to them, our conversations are rarely about wrestling. We're talking right. about kids. We're talking about sports. We're having a laugh or we, we've seen something funny. We will send a little voice message and laugh. Like anyone who's been a part of this site, like it, it, I know it sounds cliche, but they're kind of like family, you know, and I've been so, super lucky to have some good people involved with this whole situation. And yeah, it's been, I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate. And that's the way it should be, you know, like you, yeah. your website's about wrestling, but like to open up kind of like the brainwaves in a way, like you should be just like, be easygoing. Don't yeah. don't try and overthink stuff. Like it'll yeah. it'll come naturally to you if you let it yeah. happen. So just like absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And then a lot of times, like, and I don't know what it's like to write for other websites, but I know yeah. a couple of people have come in after they've written for other pages and stuff, and they do it their way. It was, but I'm 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 coming from a background of teaching. I I used to teach kids uh, elementary school, so I was teaching sixth grade, and I was an assistant principal, so I was the head of the uh, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. So I overlooked that for the last year of my, my teaching profession. So I know what it was like to have pretty miserable bosses going through yeah. that system. And I also knew what worked for me. What motivated me was just being kind, treating them like you like you would anybody, like someone that you care for and, and their opinions matter. And obviously you start putting pressure on somebody. That's when they start to buckle. And so I kind of take the same approach with, with wrestling with my site as well. So it's, yeah, there's no pressure. And hopefully they, anyone who writes for the page would, would say the same about me. And, and you were saying earlier on that, like, you don't consider yourself like a journalist in any way. Like you're, you're still learning as you're going when writing these pieces, yeah. editing them, transcribing yeah. them. What exactly are you looking for? Like when people reach out to you, like when I reached out to you, we worked on, on the Aldis article together. Uh, what, what exactly are you looking for? Like, obviously it's about, uh, stories like behind the scenes stuff that nobody would ever hear about, or at least you'd hope, uh, what, what, what's something that like we talked about the, the recaps or the previews, reviews, whatever, like that's, that's not what this site is about, but what, what's something that you'd, uh, kind of go out of your way for when, uh, someone reaches out to you about a potential story, whether it's from, the 1980s or whether it's from 2018, like a backstage story, like what specifically are you looking for um, when you put an article through? Good question. I, you get, I get a lot of people pitching articles to me where sometimes they'll say, uh, what would you like me to write? And I say, I don't pitch stories. Um, whatever you want to write about, send me some ideas and then we'll kind of mold it to how it will fit for the site. Where... I don't like editorials as much where there's opinion involved, you know, where you, you like list posts can kind of go negative directions. Like right. if, if you're saying, if you're ranking wrestlers or pay-per-views or promotions of the past and you're putting them in a running order, you're going to upset whoever's reading it in some way or other. So I try to get all opinion out of things. And so when somebody says to me, I would like to write about how so-and-so failed. I was like, okay, we could talk about why that character didn't work. And then we could talk about 
you know, wh where did it go wrong? But try not to have your opinion involved because I will always edit that out in the final piece. And so other times people have, I've had a pitch the other day where somebody was like, I want to talk about how, and this, this was a fan from the Philippines. And he says, I would love to talk about what it's like to be a fan in, in the Philippines. And I said, that's an interesting topic. I don't know if it would be fitting for my page, you right. know, because people really don't care what an everyday person has to say about their fandom because we all come into wrestling with a different story. People aren't coming to a site like mine to hear um, just a random, you know, 37-year-old's opinion, really. They want to know what was happening from the people involved. And so I kind of have to direct and kind of like, you know, change direction for a lot of these stories that are suggested and so that we can tell the stories where you've got quotes involved from the people that were living it. So you could talk about the storylines. They don't want to really have pieces that really just talk about the on-air feud. I want to know what things were like backstage, you know. What, what was it like when they were coming up with these ideas? How were they like to work with each other and things like this? So, yeah, as much as possible, I try to get those editorials out of there. And, and besides, they don't get a lot of page views, really. Right. And so it's the stories itself that that do. And so now that I've found that, I've kind of been able to tweak my approach over the years. And so, yeah, I, I don't turn down as much as I say yes to. Fair enough. I know what's working. Yeah, at this point, I know what's going to work and what won't. Right. At least on my platform. There's other websites that it could work, really. Are there like how um, are there any stories that your writers have put out recently that have been more based on the new era as opposed to uh, the old era? Yeah, we kind of. We have. I have a couple writers who are a lot younger than I am. I'm, I'm only 37, but they're in their 20s, and I've I got a new writer as well who's. He's, I think he's 18 or 19, so wow. he's coming in with that young approach where he's going to cover those stories that. Um, I guess I wouldn't even thought of, you know, maybe it was during a time I wasn't even watching, but like, we'll, we'll be talking about, like we had a piece yesterday about Mae Young, which covers her whole career and what a life she lived. Um, like today we had the ECW relaunch when, where that went wrong. And that was covering from like 2005, 2006. We've got, you know, Undertaker stories. So you go from talking about backstage stories about The Undertaker to Mad Dog Vashon. He yeah. was a total badass back in the day, the uncle of Luna. And, you know, got Mark Henry, Brock Lesnar, his fight to become UFC champion. So sometimes we go into, um, it's, it's a wrestling site, but we cover topics broadly outside of it as well. So, yeah, we kind of bounce around like that. But we don't it, it's interesting we don't cover too much recent stuff right you know, like your piece on all this it fit because he was talking about why he's not been in wwe up until this point and you know how uh, i think it was in your piece where even aj styles was compared to like gilbert that's right yeah yeah that's, nuts, like, by the way. that's gonna work yes I mean, that's nuts. I was just saying that's nuts that, that he, they were comparing arguably the greatest technician in pro wrestling besides Shawn Michaels, probably, to a gimmick character. That's yeah. how little they thought of him. I know. It's crazy. Gilbert was pretty good, though. If, if we were to compare Gilbert to Goldberg, I thought... <laughs> yeah, fair enough. 
<laughs> Goldberg, he was, he was good at what he did. I, Goldberg, I don't know. I, I have I have my own opinions about Goldberg. He was he was he was um, dangerous in the ring sometimes. Yeah. But, yeah. But anyways, no. Just but yeah, we 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 cover as much. We I like to say we we mostly cover stuff from the past. We'll you'll see a couple like newer stories uh, trickle in. You won't have much on like what's happening with wrestlers these days, unless because there's really not a lot of crazy stories happening on the road um, that I'm aware of. I, I'm it's not out there yet. Maybe some of these guys got to retire and start talking. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be all those AEW guys that were uh, fired by WWE that are all going to start coming out. Yeah. There was, uh, Zelina Vega, who just got released because she didn't want to give up her Twitch stream. And she yeah, was one of the most over managers in the company. Absolutely. She's like one of the most over, she's a great talker and she's, she's a decent wrestler. She is money for WWE and they let her go because she wasn't willing to cut this stream, which was what I read was making her more money than she was making during the pandemic with WWE. And so that's a huge story. And um, right now we're in the process of putting together an article on the times wrestlers have attempted to unionize in the past and the, the pitfalls that came from it and how now could be the right time to do it. So she could have been the catalyst that really got things moving. So That'll be us kind of covering more of a, a recent topic, and it, it really will fit in with the, you know, the scheme of things on the site. Yeah, that's a big story right now. I, I really don't understand why Vince wants to like control all of their other stuff. I guess to create more revenue, but like you're basically buying out like the one thing that they have on the side that's like not a part of the company, and yeah. taking away like their rights to do what they want to do on their own personal time, which kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah, and you got to talk about like they're independent contractors too. And what does that entail? What rights does Vince have over these people? And obviously he's got the rights over their names. They're they're WWE names, not their, their real names. Right. And so you'll notice on a lot of Twitter accounts and in these streams, they, they don't have their, their WWE name. It's just their, their born name. And so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where things go. Andrew Yang, he's getting involved. The president of the screen actors guild as well saying like we are willing to talk to wrestlers like we are seeing some pretty good things happening right now so yeah it'll be interesting to see where things go one thing i wanted to ask you kind of just switching gears here um because you're a musician you you yes guitar uh what do you think is the biggest difference from a writing standpoint as a musician, because my brother is a musician, I, I've written some songs for him. Like the process for writing music and writing articles are two completely different things to me. Like, how do you feel about uh, kind of evolving yourself as a writer when it comes to those two entities? Because again, they're very different. Yeah, that, that's a great question. You know what? It's it's funny when I write a song, I'll have a melody, and then I'll I'll hit record, and then I'll just kind of sing words that will be fitting to the mood of the song, or I'll have a story in my head, or I'll have a situation that I want to kind of write about, really, kind of real vague. But I'll, I'll record, and it's kind of like freestyling. And I'll write down the words I like, and the words I don't like, I'll, I'll just replace them. And that's how most of my songs are. Like, I, I can write a song real quick. Whereas with articles, I put so much time into every single word. And should this word go here or that? And, and it, it's such a process of cutting it's like trimming the fat really yeah whereas with music it's almost like a 
it's like a thoughtless process where I just hit record and I'll play a song and come out with it. But yeah, with the articles, um, you got the grammar side of things. You right. make sure that it reads well and everything's kind of set up well with the different sections. And so, yeah, it's, it, there's a lot more effort that goes into the writing for the site than any writing for music does for me. That's interesting. So do you just yeah. come up, like it's just freestyle for you? Like you hit record, you play, uh, and then obviously the lyric aspect to it, uh, yeah. probably a little bit slower. But do you have uh, music that you kind of just have had over the years that you haven't really used? Like, is well, there a I, have a, I have a lot of unfinished songs. Yeah. Whereas I'll, I'll be feeling it for a little while and I'll be like, okay, I got a verse, got up to the chorus, then I don't have a second, third verse. Yeah. Bridges are the hardest to write. None of my songs have bridges. You know? <laughs> or, you know, it's just like verse, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, lead guitar solo or something. And then, you know, it's all very much the same. I think, I do need to be a bit like, but I haven't done enough with my music lately. I've, I've started recording over the last few months. Right. I've had all the time in the world to do so. And I've got a friend of mine who has a studio and he's been mixing it. So hopefully we'll have an EP out by the end of the year or start of next year. But I kind of handle like the music side of things like I do with like the site. It's when the passion's there, when I get that strike of, uh, interest to do it I'll get the guitar out and I'll have days where I'm, I'm writing music or recording and then I'll go a stretch of like three months where I haven't even picked up the guitar so I just kind of have to feel it really because if, if you're not it's really hard to write a song I'm sure I mean I'm the same way I, I can play a few songs like I, I don't even know chords I actually just picked it up I'm like all right let's play some songs and I know like yeah. every Nirvana song from the Nevermind album and that's it there you go. I don't know anything <laughs> else that's a good starting point. For me, it was Green Day and Oasis. Yeah, those were the two bands to start off. And, and Nirvana, of course, because, man, the 90s, had, all the songs were very simple to play. Most of them. That's, that's what I've, I've learned playing these songs. I'm like, Cobain's a genius. Like, these are the easiest yeah. songs to play in the world, and they were some of the most popular so songs in the world. They're so good. Yeah, they're all fantastic. And so, yeah, it was a good time to pick up a guitar in the 90s when I was just learning, you know, all the music I was into is just like E minor, G, C, D, you know, it was, it was fantastic. Nowadays, I'm trying to switch things up a bit. I do a lot of drop D tuning or double drop D and, you know, see what I can do. But yeah, it's, yeah, I love music. For, for me, it's like I pick up the guitar and just start strumming something and then it just comes out. And if it doesn't, I usually abort it. <laughs> so as a dad now, though, like what kind of music are you trying to uh, play around the house to kind of inspire uh, kid because like that that to me was or at least to my dad that was one of his biggest mistakes as a young parent he bought me the american idiot green day vinyl when it came out when i was like four years old my brother was two because yeah. he thought it would be like a nice like little like poppy thing for us to play because like he grew up obviously on, on like led zeppelin uh, guns and roses was one of his favorites but he, he gave us green day and ever since there was like the bullet in the bible album when they played it in england and uh we dressed up as billy joe armstrong for halloween like four years in a row and my brother got in so much trouble with teachers just flipping people really off. yeah Why? oh as a teacher if i saw a kid come in dressed as billy joe i, I would have given him a high five like, well, I'm, cool. I'm just saying in general, like he, he would get in trouble because of the attitude. Like he would develop yeah. like the, like F everybody else attitude, like flipping yeah. off the teachers. I'm like, this isn't good. Like that probably. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. 
I see. I started. I, it's weird. Like my music taste started off with Green Day, Oasis, and like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains. Yeah. Basically, like what was big in the mid '90s. And now, I'm all I really listen to is like classic rock. You mentioned Zeppelin, um, Black Sabbath, Alice Cooper, yeah. um, Deep Purple, and <laughs> Lena's my, my daughter. She refers to Alice Cooper as Uncle Alice. Ozzy Osbourne is Uncle Ozzy and things like this. So she's like, oh, it's Uncle Ozzy. She can hear it. <laughs> and, and she does Smoke on the Water. She sings it. Oh, wow. She's like, Smoke on the Water, Fire in the Sky. And sometimes she does it with her own intonations. And I think it's so adorable. And that's, that melts my heart. But we also have a lot of Disney playing in the house, a lot yeah. of Disney music, a lot of nursery rhymes. And I embrace it, man. It's music. It's getting it's getting her into just the love of music from a young age. That's what's important to me. And a lot of these Disney songs are really good too. They're catchy even for adults. So I, I've got no. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I, I do dig some of the Disney tunes. I mean, at least you're mixing it up with Disney and classic rock. Yeah, yeah. And she she knows um, like Liam Gallagher from Oasis. Yep. She calls him Liam Gaglier. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she's like, is that Liam Gaglier? I was like, how did you know that? She's like, I know, Dad. <laughs> right, she's four, you know, so it's, wow. it's super cool. Yeah. I, I know you got to pick her up from school soon, so I, I got one last question for you. Don't want to take too much of your time, but given everything you, you've done with the site, with pro wrestling stories, the stories that you've covered, stories that you want to cover, what's the one story that you'd like to cover with a specific wrestler moving forward, like your dream story that you'd want to cover? Ooh, I, you know, I'm, I'm almost going to tweak your question. Maybe like to maybe a dream person to interview. Yeah, yeah, that works. Dream person to interview. I would say Bret Hart. Yeah. Bret Hart would be like the guy to interview or the rock. Those two. Probably the two, because I, I, I'm pretty calm when it comes to meeting celebrities. I, I don't want to come off too starstruck because they're humans too. And I, then you come, you look like a jabroni and they want nothing to do with you. Whereas if I met Bret Hart or The Rock, I would be a bumbling buffoon. Like I was like a girl at a Backstreet Boys concert. Yeah. <laughs> it's because they were, they, those two wrestlers were probably the ones that had the biggest impact on me as a fan when I was younger. And they have hundreds of stories. So yeah, I, I was talking to Savio Vega and this was either my first or second ever interview. And he's, he's, is, I think his first, one of his, The Rock's first matches was against Savio. Okay. And he was like, oh, yeah, and um, when you get The Rock for an interview, tell him about the story. And I was like, oh, yeah, when I get The Rock for an interview, yep. <laughs> like, it's so easy. <laughs> I thought that was funny. But, yeah, those two would be great. But there's, it's interesting, like, there's some days where I wake up, especially, like, before, before this whole pandemic hit, when I would get a couple articles here and there from writers, now it's like everyone's contributing and it's really great. I would wake up and I wouldn't know what I was going to write about. I would just start going on YouTube and looking up shoot interviews and be like, oh, that's an interesting thing I didn't even know about. That's the thing about wrestling. There are hundreds and hundreds and thousands of stories out there that maybe they've been covered elsewhere, but I want to cover it fully. And, you know, with a different, you know, in a different way, I suppose, you know, so... I don't know, like, if there was a story I wanted to write about, I probably have already. Um, and so now it's trying to discover stories that are out there that haven't yeah. been written about yet. And 
So it's just um, each day, it's just a new, and I never struggle to find a, like a story right. or a topic. And that's the best part about it. My wife always says to me, aren't you going to run out of stories to write about? And I'm like, no, it's, it's, it's like crazy. But with wrestling, there are numerous stories. And every person who was involved in wrestling has a story or they got more than one, you know, and it's, it's endless. And it's really cool to be a part of this. And, you know, I wake up happy every day because I'm, it's, yeah. it's a fun job. It's not even a job for me, even though it's now my, my main source of income right. is the website, you know, whereas I went to school to become a teacher and now I'm waking up each day and I'm putting out wrestling stories. I mean, come on. If you told this to me when I was little, I wouldn't believe it. It's, it's incredible. I mean, that's the spice of life, right? Or is, yeah. there, is there any specific, because you, you've obviously done your research on him, any specific Bret Hart story that you'd want to cover if you ever got him for an interview? Oh, that's a good question. I would, There's so many mainstream ones that you'd probably yeah, want to stay away from. Yeah, I probably would read his book again, um, yeah. try to quickly go through it and see if there was some topics there that I haven't covered on the site. Because when you do these interviews, you don't want to ask the same questions. Right. You know? You want to come in prepared where a lot of these guys are hearing the same things over and over again. They're talking about the same things. I would like to come in and bring up some, you know, maybe things less, lesser talked about topics. Like I had one, one, one interview I had was with Sean Waltman for the Genius Cast. And we were supposed to interview him a week later. But Lanny's like, do you want to do the interview now? And I was like, now? I was like, oh, I don't have my notes prepared or anything. So I went in completely cold, like with no notes in front of me with Sean and I had asked a silly question about like, um, do you think it's only a matter of time about before China goes into all the things like, yes, what kind of question is that? Of course. I was like, oh, I feel like a buffoon. You know, you got to be prepared. <laughs> so like off the top of my head, I, 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 I would struggle. But with, with someone like a Bret Hart, I would do lots of research and make sure that you go in. Because if you if you talk to him about stuff that he's not normally going to talk about, like he'll probably open up a lot more. Be like, oh, because wow. yeah, yeah, your brain is probably out. trained to answer the exact same questions that you hear on a daily basis. Exactly, and I th and you know, as an interviewer, you're going to get more out of these guys for or, or or gals when you're talking to them and you're you're asking about things they don't think many people know about. So it shows that you care, you've done your research, and you've done your time to prepare, and that's that's important. Yeah, we'll see what these next couple of years show, man. Hopefully, maybe I will get a chance to get Brad on and The Rock. Maybe when he's going for president in a couple of years' time. You never know. It seems like where we're headed these days with celebrity yeah. friends. So, well, JP, thank you so much. Uh, remember to go check out ProWrestlingStories.com. You guys also have an Instagram and Twitter, right? Instagram at Pro Wrestling Stories, Facebook at Pro Wrestling Stories, Twitter at PWS underscore official. Well, JP, thank you so much for being gracious enough to uh, take time out of your day. I almost said morning because it's 9.15 here uh, yeah. locally in Phoenix, but uh, uh, you have about 20 minutes or so. Pick up your daughter. Enjoy the rest of your day. Stay safe. I know you guys are in the second lockdown period right now, and we'll probably yeah. be on the other end of that pretty soon here. All the best to you, Jack. It's good to finally talk to you, man. It's been a pleasure. I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's definitely going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh! hidden fees what you guys think i said oh tick pick i thought you said tick pick no hidden fees download today
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.